welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from our Expo 2020 panel series. In this episode, Ryan Groth, CEO of Sales Transformation Group, talks about how to improve your market perception and your brand uniqueness by being an apex predator. Welcome everybody uh, to my talk, Becoming and Remaining the apex predator in your market. You guys are like, this sounds really scary or really exciting at the same time. So I promise it's gonna be more exciting than scary. And um, we're gonna talk about the importance of this mindset and some tactics on how we can become number one in our market. Allow me to introduce, introduce myself. My name is Ryan Groth, CEO of Sales Transformation Group. We are a sales training, coaching, consulting company. Uh, based out of Florida. We help companies across the country, primarily in the contracting space, kind of new to painting. Move from unpredictable, reactive, to high-performing, high-value sales organizations. So this topic is near and dear to my heart as I found it's created great results for people who work with me. And here we go. So this is uh, my wife, and Lindsay, and my three children. We have one on the way, so we're going to be a uh, Number four, it's pretty exciting. I live in South Florida, and actually we're moving to Maui, Hawaii in May. And my family, kind of, I got started in this because my family had a general contracting company in South Florida. They did a lot of re, you know, remodeling, painting, some roofing, and I got exposed to the industry. I loved it. I was an athlete, played for, uh, football in high school and baseball, ended up playing professionally after going through the college ranks, and uh, played with the Angels organization for a few years. Uh, John Townsend, wave your hand in the back. If you look back there, John Townsend, he and I played together. He's on my team uh, with Sales Transformation Group and glad to have him on board. So a little bit about kind of how I got into the industry. Once I saw my mom and stepdad struggle with their business, I saw the effects on our family. I saw how it overwhelmed them. And so as I was getting in this blue collar space, I was like, man, I'm gonna go play baseball. I don't know if I wanna be a part of the, the company right now because I want to do something for myself. But when I came back and you know, came back from playing, I noticed their business wasn't doing too great and I wanted to really take things to the next level. And as I was assembling mentors in my life and got married and got started a family, I met a commercial roofing contractor in South Florida who's doing currently about 60 million all service and re-roofing in the commercial sector. And when he met, he said, man, I built this CRM program that's helping our business because we're building a sales organization. And I spent five years with him learning the ins and outs of his organization as I was selling the CRM to the industry. Really what was part of the whole DNA was just helping people grow in their sales. And so I started coaching and adding a lot of value in that way from what I saw with him and bringing in my mindset, desire to help people grow, pro athlete background, and started to really just build a reputation helping people grow with sales. So I started Sales Transformation Group and here we are. And our vision is to help every contractor on the planet build a predictable sales organization with an emphasis on private negotiated work in commercial and high-end residential markets. That's a little bit about me. 
So, facts. You're either growing or you're dying. Raise your hand if you know that's true. Right? We're either growing or you're dying. This game is not a static game. We're always moving, we're always adjusting, always iterating, and we're making so many decisions every single day. Some have major leverage points in their output, and some very small. How many of you know our ability to make bigger decisions that have greater outputs and leverage have a you know, big impact? And the better we are at those and delegating the smaller ones, the better we're gonna grow. So I'm, I'm a big believer that you're growing or you're dying. You're either getting the feast or someone else is, right? There's everybody out there, I've heard of the word, there's a lot of competition, low price. I've heard that like five different times over here in conversations since I've been here for 24 hours. And it's just true. We're out there competing. We're out there trying to be our best and survive and grow our business. So, and another fact is the industry is getting older. We need to attract the next generation into our business, right? So our laborers are getting older. Our team members are getting older. Not you specifically per se, but the industry at large in construction is getting older. And if we don't change and we don't adapt, we're gonna have a difficult time growing our business. So I'm gonna talk about how we could solve some of these uh, facts that go in our favor. So here's what we're gonna cover. We're gonna grab hold of what you think is the best and take ownership of it for yourself. So when I talk about the apex predator, I'm talking about the, the top of the food chain. When you're in a market, you're like, they're number one or we wanna be number one. But at the end of the day, that's all an opinion. You have to decide what that means for yourself. So we're gonna discuss that. And I'm gonna also cover the currency of being number one is reputation. You will be taught proven methods on how to improve your market perception. We're also gonna cover how you can learn to gain confidence in your brand uniqueness and remove all insecurity and doubts. A big challenge that I've been hearing is we wanna sell value. Everyone's, you know, we're going lower. Our competition's 20, 30% lower, underbidding us, underbidding us. That's not their fault, that's not your fault. Well, it's actually your fault because you're not creating the perception of value that we need to, to continue to hold our margins and grow. And the best practices of how to address the market ferociously and make revenue predictable without dropping your price. So what is an apex predator? It's a predator at the top of a food chain that is not preyed upon by any other animal. What does that mean for you? And why would you exist? Does that re you're here because that title resonated. And not everybody is in this class. The ones who are in this class are the ones that said, I wanna be the best. I don't wanna, I'm not just here to make, it, make money. I wanna be number one. I wanna be the, the top of the food chain. I want everyone to know we're the best company to work for, the best company to hire, and we wanna last, hopefully, a, a generational impact that leaves a legacy for you and your family and your loved ones. So in order to do that, you have to turn on this, this, this wavelength in your brain that says we have to be the best. No, uh, and, and the best doesn't mean just going through the motions, but proactively optimizing every single thing we possibly can. And I'm gonna talk about how we can do that so that you can stay ahead of the game. So you gotta know why do you exist in the first place? Because if you don't know why you wanna be the best, then you have a problem. So we're gonna talk about that. So becoming the best in your market, having a define what the best means, you need to narrow it down. Is it the most sales? You guys have like a top uh, 100 painting contractor list or something every year? Maybe you wanna be on that. Maybe that's your version and that's okay. There is no wrong answer. 
but you have to know what that is. Is it you have the most five-star reviews? Is that the currency in which you measure being the best? You have to define it. Does it mean you have the biggest clientele or the largest commercial clientele? Not just the biggest jobs or it's the most profit. How do you measure success? You have to do some soul searching here. Many of you are just so inundated with running your business, you haven't even remembered why you're doing this in the first place. And in order to become number one for the reasons you want, for whatever number one is to you, have to know why. Is it the most community engagement? Do you measure your success by community impact? Is it also biggest impact in giving? I can't tell you the answer, but what I do know is that the companies who are laser focused, dialed in, not getting eaten upon, but eating upon others as it relates to winning in your market, have a really good understanding of why they exist. So I would say some of you, it's going to be, I have a huge ego. <laughs> it could be some of it. Maybe it's a little less ego and more altruism or it's family oriented. All of those things, you got to dig down and make sure it's a really strong reason and a foundation because we're going to put pressure on that thing every day. We're going to ask others to do the same thing, right? So what I would encourage you to do is really understand why you're even doing this, not just to make a couple hundred grand a year, make a million a year, but even that gets short lived, that, that fades. So how do you measure it? You got to decide that. So then you have the what, the how, and the why. So facts, you're going to be in business because painting is something that's always going to be there. You always have to paint a building or a home. It's just the, the fact. And I love the trades because servicing and replacing existing buildings is always going to be there. If I'm going to bet on something versus repaints and touch-ups versus new construction, I'm going to put every single resource into repaints and touch-ups that I possibly can, concrete stainings, because that's always going to be there forever. And if everybody knows that, you're going to be able to create value over time. New construction is very cyclical. It's not always be, going to be there. And the, new, and the GCs are in between you and the money, and they're trying to squeeze every single ounce that they can out of you, and it's not very predictable. So what I would encourage you to do is, hey, what problem do you solve? Then, to make that money, you gotta, you gotta be better than everyone else, right? So that's the quality. So what you do is paint. You solve problems there. How you do it creates the quality, which allows you to keep your prices a little bit more, right? But why you do it is like the nuclear energy bomb that creates all the energy in your market. I can promise you that if a company knows, or a home, or a B2B company knows, or a homeowner knows that what you do is painting, how you do it is very high quality and you're able to sell that during the sales process, and then they know why you do it is for a particular reason that is good, you will do well by doing good. You will. You will do well by doing good. That opens up a conversation that we'll touch on in a few minutes of some examples of how you can do well by doing good and the impact of that. It's not good enough, guys, for you to just be a good paint company. You have to be a, a living organism that has a purpose that does a really good job at painting a lot. You have to do that because everybody's competing and people are starting to see and feel you know, the Chuck in the Truck or the Tank Top Tommy versus a professional company versus an impact community, an impact company. There's different layers. And if you want to be the number one, 
you have to create that energy in your community that everybody knows you're doing good and you will do well by that. Yes, it costs money, but what it really more takes is just investigation of why. And that's powerful. So, I'm not just saying let's go be number one and eat everybody up. It's no, why? Why are we doing this? So brand, this is not your logo. It is the reputation and the client experience. Did you know that 60% of the client experience is already concluded before you even do the job? They're already concluding who you are based on from contact to contract. So I wanna discuss with you some addressable variables relating to your brand and focus on the 60%. That's what I'm gonna talk about. Brand variables, number one, professional appearance of your sales staff. 55% of communication is body language. Everything, so when, you're, when you and your DNA of who you are is being imposed upon by into your team members, who they are is gonna show up and it's gonna show up without them even saying anything. So do you care? Do you wanna know? Do you listen? So body language is 55%. Tonality, do you ask questions or you just show up and, uh, and throw up, right? Or do you really show that you care? You know, are you guys just quoting and hoping? Or are you really showing that you care? Because I could tell you, people notice. And then words is only 7% of communication. And are you speaking to their concerns? Or are you over-educating someone not looking for an education? I also want to encourage you, when you break into B2B, even B2C, and you have written communication, get Grammarly to tighten up their grammar. Because there's going to be that one like anal CFO who's going to be like, like, and they just look at you differently. At John's like pointing at himself. He's like my grammar guy. Because I use Grammarly, then I go to John and make sure it's good. Because I'm like, I just, I'm a little bit more action. But I don't always <laughs> tighten it up. I'm like, hey, done is better than perfect. Don's like, perfect's better than done. So we're working together. It works nicely. So my point is, get this because we want to address every single variable. And the first thing is communication. Make sure your team is professionally set up and they're looking, they're looking strong. Are you using an at gmail.com account or do you have a company email address for your team? Okay, at gmail shows that you're mom and pop. At your such and such company shows that you're a professional company. Does your team have business cards? Are the uniforms and trucks branded? Are your LinkedIn and Facebook profiles customer ready? Email signatures need to be clean and uniformed. It's the little things that all add up to brand perception and customer experience. So make sure you do that. This Facebook profile up top is this person who has no company logo. It's all grayed out. His face is grayed out. The back is grayed out. Like nothing is even communicating to anyone who they really are. If you guys wanna, who would like to get more commercial work in their market, do more commercial repainting? Okay, so LinkedIn is gonna be a tool. Facebook is a tool. People are seeing you and they're like, this person, I could tell who they even are without even meeting you. And it's very powerful. So make sure that we're addressing every variable with your sales staff as it relates to the quality of their communication. Also brand variables. Do you make a difference in the community? So people will pay more when they know that you do something good as a brand. They just will. 
Not only that, your people will stay on your team and you'll retain talent for the same reason. People need to know why you exist and if it's good, you need to talk about it. And then when you talk about it, people feel a part of it. So this company, Antis Roofing, they're about a $20 million HOA only service and a re-roof company out of Orange County. And this guy is like the most charismatic individual on the planet, even and then definitely in roofing. This guy is a, quite a unique character, the CEO. And he's, he's actually like on podcasts and speaking on all these major corporate social engagement, like progressive topics for businesses. And he's just like a little old roofing company and he's got like Apple on the same panel. It's pretty cool because it's such a big deal. He's really progressive in that way and it's very innovative because he talks about what they do in a way that's not boastful and like, hey, look at us. And he says that they're the highest in their market and people buy from them because they know that what they do is, is going back to the community and making a difference. So what I would encourage you to do is just, you're already, good, you're already good painters, you already do a good job, hopefully. You know, you're already pretty professional, you're here. But know why you exist and have an engagement community level. I, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual, religious, Christian guy, but I'm not posting that I'm giving back to my church and my business. It's gotta be relevant to the community. Are you helping the community? So like Habitat for Humanity, Ronald McDonald House Charities, like these are no-brainers. And in your community, there's board level networking that happens and you start to get a lot of, you know, movers and shakers that want to buy from you. So I would encourage you strongly to really think about picking one thing that you are stoked to talk about and give back. There's a company that, uh, that works at Core Contractors out of Denver. And what they do is they actually divvy up their employees to say what's your passion and they they ask for volunteer hours to give back and they start to promote that and they found so much value with lead gen with just the fact that such and such company is associating with community engagement and now people just refer them and it's a no-brainer and they're more expensive and they buy because why they're doing it is there and the soul of the company is in being imposed upon with your team and they're having fun they feel like they're doing something empowering versus just a job so I would encourage you strongly, that's a brand variable that you can address before someone even meets you. They already have this sense of, hey, this company is a good company. These people are good people. And that's very powerful. Oh, step a little closer. Okay. Uh, do you use video with marketing and throughout the sales process? I would encourage you that to, to have some recorded during your proposal process. Uh, have a really nice proposal. I haven't seen the company out there in the trade show floor, uh, the sales uh, proposal company, but I, I saw them and I was like, hey you, I wanna talk to you guys, John and his, and his sister. Because if you can optimize the experience uh, with, from the sales process to the homeowner, to the building owner and the property management company, they're going to see you as different because they know that you care. So it's very important that we have some brand variables that make you differentiate so I'm going to talk a little bit about some apex predators, orcas, lions, Komodo dragons. These are the three of my favorites that I found that work very, very well in teams. And so as you guys start to, you guys should associate yourself and say, hey, what, what are we like? And I tell you, the orcas is funny. You think the great white shark is one, but the orcas actually like play with the sharks and they do like these they spin under them and get them dizzy and they flip them upside down and then they eat their liver. It's like, and the orca looks so happy and friendly. So that's why I love them because 
they're like they look sweet and they're beating they're, and they're eating your liver <laughs> that would be the way i want to do it is i want to be the best and people like like it at the same time <laughs> so that's the way that i think all of us should be because we're not angry uh egotistical self-serving but we're giving back and we're and we're eating your lunch at the same time or eating you for lunch so uh, I would encourage you to do that. But here, so with that being said, y'all need sales animals. I'm not saying like frat house animals. I'm talking like people who are dialed in, focused, and ready to go, you know, bring back dinner. And so if we look at our business, it's really simple. At the end of the day, revenue is earned and collected. You earned and collected something. Well, before it was revenue, it was backlog, revenue to be earned. Before that, it was a contract, the sale was made. But before that was your pipeline, all of that. So if you wanna look at the quality of your revenue, look at the quality of your pipeline. And there's so many variables with it relates to pipeline, like who's your target client? Now, I didn't say target job, I said target client. Not what's my best job, what's my best client? Because what I find the best companies transition from being job oriented and transactional to account focused and relational. And how, raise your hand if you love to do touch ups and concrete stainings for somebody before doing a repaint. Nobody's raising your hand, okay. Can I ask you, how much margin do you guys make on that if you do it? What's your ticket size? So let me, let me just kind of say this. If the commercial repaint with the owner, without a middleman, they pay you the margin you want, and you have a direct access to the money, that's a, that's a good thing, right? 35, 40, 30% gross profit. Let's say, what if we just sold those and delivered those? Life would be pretty good, wouldn't it be? So in order to be thinking that, don't say, I want to get that job because if you get that job, you're already gonna be fifth, sixth bidder by the time that job is a job. Does that make sense? By the time it's time for them to bid it. If you lead with helping, some, helping a company or an owner or building owner or a property management company with high margin, low ticket strategy, yeah, it's not sexy at the moment, but if you have a proactive sales associate, now you're consulting them on the repaint on their building way before they even realize it's time it may even be just in time and now you're the only game in town and they may shop you out may not <coughs> and like roofing which i deal a lot with we we strategize by leading with service do 60 percent margin repairs and try to extend their building before replacing it and it's a beautiful thing it's a long-term play versus let me just get the job so if you have a pipeline that's laser focused, and here's what I mean by laser focused, like laser focused, like laser focused. <laughs> if we do that, which means we say no to stuff, like, like say no to the invitation to bids that flood your email. Like say no, no. I guarantee you, if you start taking energy that is going into bidding these jobs like a bid machine and start going into building relationships, it's gonna be pretty awesome. And what you have is now a bunch of accounts that you're their partner with, you're consulting them, 
and now you have a consultative sales organization that is, you know, gobbling up the market versus, oh, we need a paint job last minute. All of a sudden they're getting a bunch of painters or calling, hey, who do you know? And then they're getting three to five bids and you're all basically a price game. Absolutely. What I would say is have lead that with your marketing language. We'd rather, I mean, roofing would be like, we'd rather say, extend the life of your roof than replace it. Painting, it could be, we'd rather, we'd rather make your rooms last longer than repaint them. There could be some language to that from a marketing standpoint. But then, as you're networking and building relationships, which I think all of us should be networking through associations or the, the local presence of where do all the apartment managers hang out? Where do all the property managers hang out? Where do all the building owners hang out? When you do that and they know that you can help them and it's a low risk, and then you're the one who's proactively basically advising them. And it could be within a couple of months, it could be a year, it doesn't matter. Your pipeline, volume, consistency, quality is there. But you know what the biggest variable of all of that is? Your salespeople. They could just they could just go be a bunch of bidders too, you know? So strategically being proactive with a B2B market and a relational approach versus somebody who just needs something that's more bid oriented puts you in a more resourceful environment where there's higher margins, it's not as competitive, and you're gobbling up the accounts and people are wondering where, the, where, all, the re -roof, or where, the, uh, where all the repaint bids are. You guys are taking them, taking them home. So the biggest variable though is the salesperson's sales process, mindset, and approach to that and you guys having enough patience to play the long game, okay? And however, when a good sales animal, I call it, or athlete, sales athlete is trained with the right coaching and the right mindset, they could take a three to four bid scenario and still be high and still get the job because there's some variables and I'll touch on those momentarily. So at the end of the day, it's very simple. Revenue, backlog, sale, contracts, and pipeline, okay? And our pipeline, the more relational and the more early on, full-on consultative we are uh, and, and having these conversations before anyone else, the better off we are. And some of you guys, unfortunately, don't even, you know, even when a lead calls you and you're the first painter they call, don't even call them back. Or it takes you three days to call them back. And then when you finally get out there, it takes you two weeks to get out of price. So, like, you have huge problems already. So we gotta turn that around and be proactive with our lead gen anyhow. If we do that, guys, I'm telling you, you will be eating up your competition for lunch. It will be fun. You'll be making a lot of money. Things will be predictable. You can invest into the things that you care about with your business. But if you're on your heels and you're waiting for things to come to you for an ITB or I need a quote, it's a problem. I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm speaking a little bit more on a B2B environment. If you want to get the repaint world, you got to do that. Obviously, B2C, you just got to be, those skills apply, especially if you're asking people for referrals, especially if you're networking with, a, with homeowners associations. But your salespeople can be trained to do that. If you do that, then it's pretty fun. So here's seven steps to creating these sales animals I'm talking about, these sales athletes. You, have a, you need a sales leader in place to show them where you're going and why. I think it's pretty, I would be presumptuous here, but I bet I'm accurate. Probably 75% of you, you're the owner who is the sales leader. You're probably the sales manager right now. So you're wearing that hat. It's okay, what we can do is if we have someone who has a desire and commitment, 
we can create a sales leader within your company to have more time to coach and to create the environment that we want and to hold them accountable. But we need to be sales leaders. You guys need to think, I need to be a sales leader, I gotta put that hat on, and we gotta go somewhere. I think it's really important that as leaders, I like to look at us like, like athletes, because we're playing a game at the end of the day. We're competing, we either win or we lose. We're either winning what we define as winning in the championship or we don't. Competing is what we're doing every day. So with that being said, like a sports organization, looking at your talent, you have to show them where they're strong and where they're weak objectively with some kind of analysis and some kind of feedback mechanism. For you to not do that without a benchmark that shows them where they stack up, maybe with nationwide sales talent, they're probably gonna think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread and they think they're really good and they're not as coachable, okay? So what we gotta do is give them some humble pie, show them where they're strong and they're weak objectively so that they're open to change. And then when you, it's like the kid who was like the best player on the travel team and then like he thinks he's great, doesn't work hard and all of a sudden he gets to like high school ball and he makes varsity his freshman year, but then he's like not even a, not even a college prospect. So common, and many of you guys, if you wanna play in the, the big leagues in your market and be like the company, you have, to, you have to create super high standards. And if you don't do that, your team's gonna think they're amazing and they're not gonna work and change and grow. So we need to show them a milestone-centric sales process. Talk about my process, I'm, you guys will be seeing that shortly. You need to design a sales plan and reverse engineer the plan so we have leading sales activity that you can actually measure. And some of those for B2B would be like account development meetings or new, new prospects. For you guys, most of it's gonna be the number of proposals and the number of contracts, number of follow-up activity, number of meetings, things like that. But I promise you, if you take a high performer, give them a plan, a why, show them where he's strong and weak, or her, and give them a plan and they're held accountable to, they're gonna be locked in. You bring them in and they just say, hey, like, here's the product we use, it's really great, and here's the margin we need, and here's how you bid it. They're probably going to be bored in a couple of years because they're gonna hit a ceiling. So at the end of the day, to be number one and be that apex predator I'm talking about, you have to have talent that's excited to keep growing all the time with you, and you have to keep uh, that bar very high. And some people really struggle with that, but it's not that hard if you get the right help. And then you should measure, 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 coach, 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 collect feedback, optimize, upgrade, and repeat. So sales leaders are responsible for four things. Actually five, but I just doubled up one. Motivating, how are they motivated? Why are they, like what motivates them and how motivated are they? It's very rare, like there's only like 8% of all salespeople that actually have a written goal and a game plan of what they're doing and why they're doing it. Most people don't. So as sales leaders, we're really more like life coaches saying, hey, where do you wanna go in life? And this sales career is a vehicle to get you there. Some of them don't even know that. So sales leader number one is to motivate, to coach, coaches, spending time on ride-alongs. Coaching is doing role-playing. Coaching is coaching on product. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at any professional sports organization that wins championships, they even have specialty coaches. 
If you want to be the best, think of your, look at yourself like your favorite sports team and say, are we coaching talent to be their best? So coaching is critical. It changes everything, especially coaching in like a peer environment where they can see where they are outside of the company really starts to create some friction in their mind that makes them want to change because they're not comfortable. Really, really powerful. <coughs> Holding the team accountable. You know, um, having, it's really hard to hold somebody accountable to something that they've never been taught. It's really hard to hold somebody accountable to a process that's not there. <laughs> it's really hard for any of that to be there. So if you want to be a leader, you got to be accountable. In order for them to be accountable, you have to define what we're going and why and how we're going to get there. Then you got people who are like, oh, I get it. I'm connected to it. Cool. But a lot of us get frustrated with people who are supposed to do something they've never been trained to do. And it's, it's not their fault, it's your fault, right? It's your business. We gotta do that. If we wanna grow people and set them up for success. High performers like to be challenged too. I'm telling you like the best high performers, like you push them, you challenge them, and you give them, you know, give them honest feedback. The best ones are mad for like 24 hours and they come back the next day and they're thankful. Those are the best. Because they're, they're a little bit on the narcissistic, egotistical side, that's okay, most of them are. And they'd like, and then they think about it all night and they're like, you know, if it wasn't for the feedback, I wouldn't be good. And if you guys have a culture of feedback being failure, that's really powerful because now they're starting to think, how can I, what does this screw up that I just did mean for me to get better? But if you don't have that, then you're going to have a bunch of whining. <laughs> okay, so it's important that you do that yourself. That being said, they need coaching. It's like a big brother. It's like a, or like a father or a mother. It's like you need that that feeling of like they're growing under your guidance. You want to create that environment. And people need that. Guys, like 67% was it the divorce rate is like 67%. Most people who are working for you come from a broken home. They don't have like a father or mother who's been there. They're all messed up. They're just trying to look for a tribe to call home. And you're like the, maybe the closest thing to a mentor they've ever had. Like we need to like coach them. Don't just leave them alone. Like love on them. Tough love because they're going to either be successful with you uh, and hopefully they become successful people first with you. But most of the, most of the time, I'd say like 90, 90%, you guys are going to be creating a life change opportunity for them. This is a beautiful industry, man. I love this industry. So much money to be made, so much impact we can make, you know, so much opportunity to give people. It's really great. That being said, if you're not spending enough time because you're busy running the company, have a coaching heart and then get another coach in a sales leader role so you can start transforming some lives and making them better. And you happen to make a lot of money doing selling paint jobs, okay? And landing paint accounts, not paint jobs, paint accounts. Uh, and then recruiting. You know, I like to say if you're a sales leader, you need to be always looking at talent, whether they're similar business models, but outside of painting or people who are good, high character people. I'm finding that the best performers that work well in this kind of environment that I'm helping companies shape are, you know, former athletes, military people, people who are used to putting in a lot of work because sales, which is again, 60% of the client experience and your brand reputation is going to be with their sales process. Get somebody who's overcome a lot of hard stuff. If they've overcome a lot of hard stuff and been a part of a team, and knows what it means to work hard and get their reps in and get up early, go to the gym, they're not gonna have a problem, whether it's knocking doors or networking or prospecting and asking tough questions and getting uncomfortable. 
you know, you need people who are already conditioned for that, so they'll thrive in these scenarios. And it's fun, it's fun to watch. Um, I'm a little biased because I was an athlete and I know it works, but I'm finding that there are, there's a lot of athletes or former military people looking for a good place to work. So if you're gonna do sales, get somebody who's used to friction because there's a lot of friction out there. And it's actually, we don't ever stop the friction. Like as leaders, we're always keeping the friction because it keeps the, the agitation, it keeps the attention, it keeps them growing. So that's one step. What do they want to know? They want to know where they're weak, what's holding them back. High performers need incredibly high standards and a path to get there. Like, I surround myself with people who are crushing it on way another level, higher levels than me and tell me what I, what I need to hear versus tell me I'm great. And I just, it just doesn't work. I don't, it doesn't serve me well to hear something flattering. So you guys, don't be like, like sales athletes, sales animals. It's kind of a newer term I'm throwing out here on these slides, so uh, it's fumbling off my tongue. It, it's, uh, they, they don't need a lot of hugging. Does that make sense? They need like one or two hugs, but most of you, like you need to just keep, keep helping them grow, see where, the, see where it goes from here. So coach them well. They need high standards. They need to feel that they're not the greatest because they, they need to hear, they don't need to hear that they're bad, they just need to hear what they need to work on constantly. And that's what, people who are number one in their market, that's how they think. Like if you look at Tom Brady, who's on the verge of ending his career, hopefully he's got a couple more years, we'll see where he goes, still has coaching and looking at frames of his throwing motion, a thousand frames a second, and how he can keep optimizing. We never stop. And it's important for us to do that. Sales DNA and competencies, I'll cover that. So do you have a method for this, right? Like, do you have a method to share with your employees, especially sales, where they need to work on, what they need to do to get better? If you don't, you're really holding them back from growing and it doesn't take that much work to do it. We just gotta be intentional on keeping the bar high. And if you don't have any salespeople, start with yourself because you'll never be able to impose the beliefs you want them to believe if you haven't adopted them and done them yourself to a degree. It's just the way it is. All right, so I like to call it removing the kryptonite. This is some of the sales DNA and we measure this. So these are some examples of the tools that we use to give people scores with national benchmarks with certain, you know, kind of basically competencies that either are gonna support their ability to sell at a high level or sabotage their ability to sell, sell at a high level. One of them is need for approval. You know, if you don't need to be liked, you don't need people to like you, you don't really care about them, about making friends, but you're more about, do they respect me? You have more of an equal business stature relationship with your market, with prospects, and that's where you can create that consultative approach. But if you need their approval, need them to like you, you're not gonna ask the good, the great, the tough questions. And when you don't ask the good, great, and tough questions, you have this subservient, happy to be here, here's my price, hope you'll buy from me mentality that doesn't create the value. Now you're just like the people cutting you down 30, 20% and they're gonna get the job because you're all in an even playing field. So salespeople who have a high sense of self and don't need the market's approval, they know who they are and you've encouraged that part of them before their sales performance, that's powerful. Now they can go in there and be consultative, care more about solving a real problem rather than hoping that they're gonna get a deal because 
they need someone to like them. Really, really important. Supported by cycle. So this is one that's really interesting. Like if you buy, if, if your guys are struggling on price and people are undercutting you on price and you're having to feel like you're low bid to get work, I bet that you probably buy things cheap and you take a long time to make decisions and you're really disorganized with your own self. So if you're disorganized and reactive and, and you've shopped things out and buy things that they're cheap, you have a lot of what I call decision fatigue. So when somebody says they need to think it over, or it's expensive, you're like, I totally get it. You're like, you empathize with them. You're like, yeah, I, I do the same thing. So if you wanna change how people buy from you, change how you buy from others. And I teach how to do this. So like, for example, if it solves a problem or fulfills a desire, if it, if it have a long-term upside, if it has long-term upside and I have the money, then I make a decision to buy it. If it doesn't check those boxes, I just don't buy it because my brain needs to go into action that makes progress, not having a bunch of decisions that are, that are pending. Because, and I found that whenever I make decisions like this, it's, I, get, I move the needle. And so when I ask people questions about like what their issues are, where they wanna go, there's obvious gaps and blockers. And they say they need to think it over, but there was an expressed desire to fix it. I'm not like aggressive and be like, what do you mean? You said this. I'm just like, well, tell me why. Like, what's going on? And I don't tolerate, and my salespeople who work with me don't tolerate think it overs and indecisiveness because they do a great job on the front end gaining commitment to solving problems. That being said, their sales cycles are shorter. There's not a lot of think it overs in the pipeline. How many of you guys would like to have no more think it overs in the pipeline and get decisions? Even if it's a no, you'd rather have the no than the bunch of think it overs. Totally, right? Because how many times those think it overs are like in your mind, and just like you're going to sleep at night, and there's like another one, and there's another one, and it just fogs you up. It's, it's the worst. So my goal is to help you guys change how you buy. And we measure that. We ask some questions about that in, a, in a, like a multiple choice questionnaire and spits out the report. But the cool thing is we can change the way we make decisions and how we think because we're human beings and it's pretty cool. Controlling emotions is another one. Like I'm telling you, if a referral comes in and they say they want to repaint price, most salespeople are, get all excited. They're like, ooh, and they, they get what I call happy ears. They get excited and then they don't ask any questions. They think it's a slam dunk, you know, and they give them a price and it's crickets, right? So people, it's like, as a, as like think about like a hunting lion, for example, like, they don't get too excited when their prey is moving and it's close. They wait for the right time. They keep their emotions curbed, you know? So if you want to be a really good sales professional, which creates the best experience and shows that you care and gets great results and train salespeople to do that, <coughs> we need to teach them not to get too excited or to get too defeated, but always stay in the middle. Um, comfortable discussing money. I tell you, like, you know, if you have a problem finding out the details of the business and the impact of the poor, of the, like for example, here's, here's a good example in like a B2B scenario. The best sales professionals that I definitely have trained and worked with get a lot of urgency because they're talking to like, let's say the property manager about the situation. And it's not just, I need a repaint, but hey, this is the impact, here's the effects. We're losing tenants, we're quantifying it. There's a certain number of dollars associated with the problem. And it's more than just, I need to repaint, but there's an actual compelling reason to buy this thing. Salespeople who are just uncomfortable discussing money, 
skip that question, and then they don't talk about budget, and they just give the price, and then they hope they'll buy, and then they don't know how to create the value. So the better versed we are at teaching our salespeople and how to discuss topics around money and how it affects clients, it's really powerful. Brian? Yes, sir. Sorry, I missed this. What, what are these numbers? Yeah, so we score these sales DNA, these competencies out of 100. And so this is just an example of if a salesperson got a report like this after maybe using like a, the service, it would show their scores. And so I could tell you the higher these scores are, it's kind of like the, uh, the apps on your phone is we want, we want things like this. We want um, hunting, people who sell consultatively, think people who sell value. <coughs> these are the scores we want to be high. It's like the apps on your phone, but if your operating system's old, they'll never be able to run those apps. So this is like, upgrading the way they think before you actually teach them the certain skills. Listen, like, why do you think somebody sells really high margin jobs with bigger accounts and some people could never do it? It's this stuff, it's the mindset. So if we upgrade that, it'll change the game and it's tough to upgrade that subjectively. It's better to measure it and give them the, oh, this is what I need to fix. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? <coughs> Excuse me. So here's the outputs that we want. We want high scores on hunting, consultative selling, selling value, qualifying, relationship building, CRM savvy, sales process. Yes, the best salespeople use a CRM. <laughs> they need to use it. Social selling using Facebook and LinkedIn, presentation approach and closing. Listen, these are the scores like an athlete is with, with baseball. It's hitting for power, running for speed, hitting for average, throwing arm and glove, these are the ones that will equate to sales domination. What year have you used personally? It depends on how big you are and where you are. Um, most of the companies that never use one, I just want to get them off the ground. I just recommend something like Pipedrive. And then I actually you know, started one five years ago, seven years ago, I started it with this commercial roofer. It's called Follow-Up CRM. It's a really good pipeline system. And it, but uh, that's, those are a couple, Salesforce is good, but it gets pretty pricey and it's pretty shiny. Oh, you're just bringing water, thanks. I appreciate that. And so speaking of that, um, I have a CRM slide in a minute, what you should be measuring. And if any of you guys have a CRM that you use that's at the show that's doing a bad job with sales reporting, just drag me over there and we'll see if we can figure something out to make their sales reports better. Because switching systems is a pain in the neck. I totally get it. So again, they need structure. I guarantee you, if you give you them a good milestone sales process that's standardized, that it's not robotic, their natural ability should take over. You're gonna see a 27% increase in their performance just by doing that, not to mention all these other variables. So here's a sales process that I teach called baseline selling. It, you start at home, there's a call that comes in or you have a discovery call that's outbound, you have an identified issue, then you schedule an appointment. Great, now they're a suspect. 
They're suspect, you should have some healthy suspicion, right? That's healthy skepticism. Don't go in there thinking it's a deal. Uh, you have an appointment, that's all you have. So then we teach you, hey, what's the need? They need it. But then there should be a compelling reason to fix it. This is where the urgency is created. This is where we have more leverage. If we don't, like the intellect will shop you out, but the emotion will whip out the wallet. We want to go from intellect to emotion. And this doesn't take, like you can't make music without tension. Like if you want, you got to create that tension and get to the compelling reason to buy. That's the gold. That's the difference. Because you think you're going deep and personal. They think you care. They feel that you care more. They feel that you understand them more because you found out. So, but if you have a high need for approval, it's gonna feel really awkward. You're gonna start sweating and you'll be like, okay, uh, here's how much it's gonna cost. So that's why we do that. We wanna take everybody to the next level because when you do this, it's a home run. SOB quality stands for speed on base. It means you've really differentiated. And I think if the human being cares and ask good questions and they're focused because they have a good sales structure, they're gonna differentiate themselves probably than most of your competition pretty quickly. And then quantified, which is the cost of the problem. So essentially, especially in B2B, owners see things a little bit more on numbers. It's not so personal. So there's like a cost associated with, you know, maybe when they went low bid in the past and there was issues on production or at downtime. There's a lot of things like that that we could discuss. But that, now you have a prospect. At this point, literally, it's like you can cut the tension with a knife. They're basically like, hey, how can you help? When do we start? That's good. But in B2B, I would encourage you to make sure they're committed to spending a little bit more. They're going to pay a little bit more to do it right this time because maybe there was a mistake in the past. This is where you can get to the actual decision maker. So don't get too excited and show them the price because they're going to want to know because they have a compelling reason. You brought it out. It's it's like you feel it. It's very good. It's a powerful tension, but you're not ready to do it yet because that's where the leverage is. Don't just give them the price and then not get to the owner. Use that to your advantage so that you can consult and guide entirely and get to the owner. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, give me an example of a, give me a center. Uh, Right. Sure. So what happened was we didn't get to his compelling reasons as well, right? So you use her compelling reasons as leverage. And, you, and I like to say, you know, Mrs. Jones, you know, our reputation is based on our client's experience. And we found that they get the best results when both owner parties are present, you know, before we get into detail, because then two things happen. Either you're dissatisfied because we didn't get to everybody's needs up front, or you and I are doing email exchanges back and forth, delaying your project time because we didn't get the details. So if it's okay with you, typically when someone's traveling, they have some time to FaceTime before at night. We use Zoom, Zoom's really easy, and we could just do a 30 minute conference call, make sure we're all connected on the same issues and desires at hand, and then from there, we'll be prepared to tell you how we can solve this problem, the timelines and how it looks and everything. And then you guys can let us know if you want to get on our schedule or not. You notice how many like agreements I got her to make, right? Moves the needle. But if we don't do a good job, guys, I'm just telling you like what I'm training people on. Okay. So you're getting all the gold. This right here 
is the gold, is having, is our ability to not just say you need it, okay, here's the price, but getting to the compelling reason to fix it. And if you want, especially if we want to sell higher value and not cheap, and we want to sell bigger commercial jobs, we can't do that. If not, then listen, guys, this is what you are. You go from first to third, and you, you go from, from appointment to take off and you know, quote. You go from first to third, which is we skipped all the selling real estate. You guys know how long it takes to go from first to second to second to third, probably? How, how long would you imagine that would take? 20 minutes. How long does it take if we skipped that and got another bid out? And got the bid out. We skipped it and then, so what would happen if we skip all that? Our closing ratio goes down, rebids and follow-ups go up, so there's more volume on your sales team, and then they don't do it. They don't follow up at all because they have more appointments. So the 20-minute extra investment will improve your closing ratio, shorten your selling cycle. Skipping it will turn you into a bid shop. You just need more leads. You spend more money on marketing, or you just start responding to the ITBs, and you're wearing out your team. Am I right? Is it worth learning how to teach your people to spend a little bit more time with a good process and become really smooth and in control there on every lead? Totally, right? So if you wanna be number one in your market, it's not by production first. You lead with pipeline, which has all these variables like who you focus on, who's on your team, are they good or not? What's the sales process? Is there a leader who cares? Are they getting coaching? Does that make sense? So if you wanna be number one, invest in the sales staff and make them freaking awesome and make and like grow them like you would your own children, like love on them, challenge them, make them great. That's what we want. You guys will crush if you do that. And then this is an example of a one page sales plan. We reverse engineer based on your targets. So we have understanding of deal size and closing ratio. So we know what weekly expectations are. And then if they have their own personal goal in the game plan, they'll have their own personal goals that you can hold them accountable to. And now you have some people who are excited to work for you. Then you should measure. Here's our CRM slide. Gross profit margins, closing percentage, schedules and calendars, percentage of goal, dollar count and margin, pipeline stages, volume in the pipeline, quality and consistency of filling the pipeline, average deal size. This kind of sounds like baseball turned to like money ball with all these analytics. Basically is. If you guys want to play less emotionally and go to sleep at night, you need to start measuring your pipeline. <laughs> It'd be healthy you go to sleep at night because you could trust the numbers, right? Average account size, average deal size, and sales cycle. And then just coach, man. I love this guy, Coach O. I loved all his interviews when they won. I loved this. I just loved hearing him talk about like his team. The next level is one belief away. So coaches are always imposing their beliefs on others. So I would say, if you want to build a great sales team, make sure you have a sales leader who's, getting, who's growing and you're investing into their growth. Because as they grow, everybody grows. Every championship organization in any league or any industry has great coaching. And if you want to become number one for whatever you define number one is for the reasons you want, what got you here ain't going to get you there. It just won't. Collect feedback, optimize, and iterate. This is a, an example of a feedback loop. So you have input, which is, hey, we tried this sales process. We took action. Here's the results. Now we have information. Don't say, ah, oh, we saw it. It didn't work, or I did fail. Just say, no, 
what is the information telling us and how do we make an iteration? That's basically it. Ken Blanchard says feedback is a breakfast of champions. Um, you know, are you asking your customers for feedback? If you ask your customers for feedback, that is the most gold you could ever, ever get because they ain't going to tell you. So asking your clients like, hey, like, could we have done anything different? It's going to hurt. Like, it's going to be a pill to swallow. Asking them is uncomfortable. But it is pure gold if you actually do something with it. So I have a company who, a friend of mine, he's got Microsoft Dynamics and he runs his entire roofing company on a custom built Microsoft Dynamics and everything they did when they started asking for feedback, they put into their project queue and they're like so dynamic. They're just creating such an incredible experience and it takes bravery to do that. Like, hey, how can we have done something better? The most strides I've made with my company is when I ask, hey, can you be honest with your experience? Like, tell us. You do that, you'll be in good shape. Bruce Lee's got a quote, I fear not the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. I'm all about focus, not about doing another kick, another trick. It's just like focus, like be the best. If you want to be the best, be the best in your league with one sport. <laughs> like do that awesomely and it'll make everything else better. It's really hard to do even three things at once, much less two, much less one. So focus on one kick, be the best at it. The more energy and the more focus and optimizing you do on the one thing, your competition's doing the five shiny object things, you're just gaining, 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 gaining. And there's distances created, and the only ones that can keep up are the ones who are as focused as you. And I guarantee you, you don't have very many in your market at all, if any. So you guys can smash it by just like focusing. And most of all, focusing comes a lot easier when you stop doing things versus, I don't know how somebody can do roofing, painting, siding, windows, landscape, all like, how do you do all of that? Like, that's insane. Not that it's wrong, but it's just like, how do you do it well? How do you become the best? So I would encourage you to walk away saying, I wanna be the best. Here's why I wanna be the best. And here's what I'm gonna to do to be the best. Um, a couple more slides, guys, and I'm wrapping up. In honor of Kobe Bryant, he was a hero for sure of mine, we can always kind of be average and do what's normal. I'm not into this to do what's normal. Everything negative, pressure challenges, is an opportunity for me to rise. Either way, I refuse to change what I am. A lion has to eat. Run with me or run from me. So I have a system for all of this, uh, online sales leadership, sales training, and group coaching program. Um, so it's designed for contractors who wanna do things like this. Uh, here's my contact information. Um, I wanna open up for questions before we dismiss. I don't even know what time it is. I think I have 15 minutes. I have about maybe 12 minutes. Yes, sir. Well, I think that, you know, you have to add more than compensation. You know, what's, what's cool, what, what's, what's for sure about any league? What do they have at the end that's already defined? 
What was that? The championship, right? So the crazy thing about us is we don't have that. There's not like some PCA standard, like number one championship league going on. We get to, we get to facilitate and create that ourselves. I think that monthly is a good thing. Like I, you know, I encourage my clients to do like, get like a hundred and $200 statue of something that represents like, I just didn't care what anybody thought I got it done, like a Hulk Hogan or something, you know, something fun. And you do that and you create the criteria to win that and you make that a competition and you start to, you start to give people recognition at the first of the month. Hey, you know, is it Brady? You know, Brady and he's like, just like a lot of fun. And it's just, it's just bragging rights. I mean, camaraderie, just camaraderie. You know, like John and I played, we had the stat sheet every day. We had the lineup every day. You know, we, we had game balls, you know, there's stuff like that. Like you, you know, you got to create this environment there where they want to beat somebody else. Actually, 67% of salespeople are, are intrinsically motivated, which means that them knowing that they're doing a good job means more to them than the money per se. They're not thinking about buying a certain vehicle or a house as much as they are knowing that they're crushing it and that they're feeling that. So I'd say monthly, and if you have a high, like, it may work in a residential like Salesforce to do something weekly because of the volume perhaps you're getting. But I think most companies are just so drunk on leads that they're just calendars full with leads and they don't prospect. I think you guys should like maybe reduce the amount of leads and have them do a little bit more referral and hunting, lower your cost of lead and get your closing ratio up. And if you'd work with me, you'd probably don't go a 10 minute presentation. You, you slow it down, you have more of a consultative approach and you just have less number of leads, but you have higher, higher volume and higher quality. And then they want to hunt more. Because, so you could do fun things like referrals, referrals and reviews as your KPI. I call it R&R. &R. How many referrals did you generate? How many reviews did you capture? Especially in the B2C world, like your homeowners, that's really powerful. Salespeople should do that. 60% of their experience uh, from your brand came from them. And if they want more of those and they want higher converting leads, they should ask for referrals versus being drunk on leads. Remember that term, guys, drunk on leads. Yes, sir. Yes, I can. Pre-qualification, can you define that for me in your, uh, in your definition? Before the appointment? Yeah. So, sure. Okay. So, Mr. Jones, uh, okay, so thanks for the call. Can you tell me a little bit why you're calling? Thank you. Um, so first one I want to share is that the expert is the salesperson, not the office lady. Not that they don't know anything about painting, but in their mind, the perceived expert is the one that can give them a solution. So I think it's optimal when a salesperson does a discovery call. That's my opinion. So let's pretend I'm a salesperson. Okay, so you came recommended. That's, that's good to know. Glad to hear that. Can you share who recommended? 
Oh, Margie, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was a, she was a great client. Uh, so you're looking for a good quality paint job. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what, what led you to think you need a paint job real quick? Chipping paint. You mentioned good quality paint job. Was it not so good of a paint job the last time? Okay. You want, you're hoping for it to go a little longer? Okay. 18 years is a good job, man. I just want to let you know you did good. So, um, yeah, that being said, you mentioned three bids. Am I the third? Gotcha. Um, so if it's 45 minutes away, I'm going to slow it down a little bit and probably cause I don't want to, you know, is it okay if we have five more minutes, Mrs. Jones? Yeah, let's pretend the office collected the system. You know, it's in the system. I see it. You know, you had just basic logistical information, but she didn't go. I'm not trying to get out of it. I'm trying to gain the level of commitment before I go out of there. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to get out of an appointment. I'll drive over there. But if it's five minutes down the road, maybe I'll just, because I know I'll be able to get to them pretty quickly. I'm, I want commitment. Like I want a compelling reason to fix it. I want them to know, I want to hear why a little bit more. So all it is is asking why, because I have a brain that's conditioned now to learn about compelling reasons so that I could tell when something is real or not now. So when salespeople are conditioned to tell, it's super fun because now they're like, they know their time's really valuable because they know how much they can make when they put their energy in the right environments. So that would be just me digging a little bit, not to disqualify you, I don't think go for the no is actually my strategy. I just think it's, some people teach that. I'm more just, I wanna know why, and if it's compelling enough, I guarantee you nobody else got that information out of them, only me. So I'm already different, I already care more, I already know them more, I already, you know what I mean? So I'm already there, and then if you invested that kind of energy into me as a prospect, you're probably gonna say, that was exhausting, I'm not gonna do that with three other painters, you know what I mean? So the less, there's less likelihood if you do good discovery calls of them even calling other people because you're extracting well. Uh, on the phone? Or when would I find that out? So Mrs. Jones, you mentioned I'm the seventh, is that what you mentioned? You mentioned I was the seventh bid that you're looking to collect? You're the sixth, I've got five in place. The sixth, okay. So um, I'm, I'm a little just confused, I'm a little unsure. Uh, and it's, if I could ask, I'd love to know, why am I the sixth? Like, what's, what, what, why haven't you made a decision yet? Okay, is that something that you're, you're trying to avoid? Or is there something more that you're looking for that, that you haven't experienced yet? Gotcha. So if it's okay, we can schedule a time. I wanna explore that with you more closely. And then if it feels like we're a fit, I'd like to share with you what I think and then I'd like for you to let me know if you'd like to work with us or not. How does that sound?
great. What's your calendar look like? See? So I, what I would do is, now I just created a crevice, I can work off that. Because you expressed that you feel commodity, you didn't share low price, you said I'm looking, you didn't say I'm looking for the cheapest price, you said I'm looking for some. So now I'd work off of that. Um, just like an athlete works on hitting every day, or like um, often. It's just a skill we don't, all right, people are leaving, so it's either time or, so, okay. Um, if you felt like this was helpful and you want more info, uh, you can come up and give me a car, your card and write slides. I can follow up with you, give you these slides. Uh, and I will ask if you are open, we could do a one-on-one -on -one strategy session consult to hear how it could help your business. So if you want that, you can come up. And if you don't have a card handy, we'll be on the trade show floor tomorrow. And uh, booth 502, John and I will be hanging out. And you could uh, contact us then. But, but thank you very, very much. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.